The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. When I got my Keurig Brewer, I loved it so much I decided to name it. The right name had to fit my many sides, from the bold dark roast side to the soft herbal tea side. I landed on Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. It works for me. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder people actually name their Keurig Brewers. Visit Keurig.com for more info. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info. about to inspire you with the stories of real people. Welcome to A Current Life with your host, Jimmy Gould. In the next hour, you will meet one of the most interesting and successful people in the world. Listen as Jimmy gets their real story of success, both the highs and the lows. We hope that you take with you some of the ideas we will share today and embrace your own journey. Now, here's Jimmy. Welcome to another current life. I'm your host, Jimmy Gould, and I'm very excited and honored to introduce to you my very special guest and dear friend, Brian Kelly. Brian, welcome to A Current Life. Thank you, Jimmy. Pleasure to be here. Well, I'm extremely ha- happy to have you as a guest on my show. Brian and I have known each other for a very long time, and I want to give you a proper introduction. Brian Kelly is the president, CEO, and director of Green Mountain Coffee Roasters. He previously served as president of Coca-Cola Refreshments. His prior experience also includes Ford Motor Company, where he was the president of the Lincoln Mercury Division, the General Electric Company, and Procter & Gamble, where he began his career. He is a graduate of the College of the Holy Cross with a BA in Economics. Brian, this show is about life's journey and the ups and the downs that we all experience and overcome to get where each of us is meant to be. So kind of on that note, I'd like to start with your early years and ask you, where did you grow up? Um, and uh, kind of what your childhood was like. Well, I grew up on the west side of Cincinnati in Price Hill, uh, and and actually very tough for me to think about uh, anything difficult in my childhood. We had a just a fabulous uh, upbringing. I was one of seven kids. We had six boys and one girl. Uh, very much all about 
academics and athletics and a very close family, uh, a Catholic family that, that uh, you know, we, we, I'm, I'm very close to my brothers and my sister today. So we, we grew up as a very tight family. Did you have, was faith a big part of your upbringing? Yeah, it was. It was. You know, and I think it played a, it played a role early. It's played a role throughout my whole life. And while it's, um, it's certainly changed, uh, I think the, fun, the fundamentals and the foundation are still there. I don't think they'll ever, they, ever, they never go away. What were your, you know, as you look back, were there certain aspirations or dreams that you had as a child growing up? I mean, obviously you had a lot of security and felt good and, about yourself and obviously had a wonderful family upbringing, which, as you know, today is more difficult for people and, and, sure. and obviously uh, not the norm. But the, uh, what were your dreams when you were a child? Oh, I think they were uh, nothing terribly lofty. Maybe, maybe uh, I probably wanted to be a pro football player. Uh, I definitely wanted to be a pro football player. Um, I think uh, I had I had dreams that were more focused on sports. I had dreams focused uh, not not surprisingly maybe not a lot on business or anything like that. That really wasn't a part of me. Uh, growing up, I, I wanted to perhaps be a teacher. My mom was, uh, my grandfather was, my grandmother was. Uh, I would have, if you would have plucked me in the eighth grade and said, what do you want to be? I'd have said, I want to be a pro football player. But if not, I'll be happy to be a teacher. Uh, so, you know, but my, my dreams were, were very, were very uh, west side of Cincinnati based, right? You, you covet what you see, and I, I saw... Uh, a lot of people around me who I looked up to and, and I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be a, you know, a person of character. Uh, I wanted to be somebody who, who achieved but did it in a way that, uh, you know, was, was good and ethical. And uh, that's really what I wanted to grow up as. But I didn't have specific career goals. Well, you know, I mean, as we know in Cincinnati, the west side of Cincinnati has produced some of the best football teams in high school. Where did you go to high school? I went to uh, Archbishop Elder High School. Well, that's always had a phenomenal team, and football's always been a big part of that, and I assume you're still a big Elder fan. Oh, a huge Elder fan. In fact, I'll get back this year to a couple of games, I'm sure. I do every year. Let me ask you, did you um, have a hero growing up, even if it was somebody from the sports world? I had had probably a couple. I had probably the... I would say my primary hero was my grandfather. My grandpa was a, a professor at Xavier University, and he would have been the primary hero I looked up to. Uh, I would say that my Johnny Bench, uh, I was a catcher. I wanted to be like Johnny Bench in baseball. Uh, Johnny Unitas, guys like that, when I grew up, those were the, those were the heroes I had. And... and- what would you say if I asked you for kind of a word or an experience that really inspired you as you were growing up, maybe as you went into college and things like that, that kind of sticks out for you, whether it was a particular moment or, you know, I always say what was the wow moment in your life that kind of helped to find you. I didn't know what I wanted to do until I was probably 32 years of age. I, I was 
famous for trying a lot of different things. And like you, I wanted to be a professional baseball pitcher and or make movies. And, of course, everything I picked, my parents would say to me, well, you can't do that. That's not a real job. So, you know, they, they I just assumed I would be a lawyer and then run for the U.S. Senate. But, you know, as, we're, as we grow, we learn reality and other things set in. And, and, and I, I guess the question is more, was there a particular wow moment at some point in time in your not just childhood, but through college that probably said, wow, this sounds interesting. I'm going to try that. Or was there a mentor or was there somebody that inspired you to go in a certain direction? Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a great thing to think about. I, I'm sure there were a few of them for me. I'll give you a couple of them that I recall. Um, I remember uh, playing, playing football in college and at Holy Cross, we had a, we, we had a, a couple of really good seasons and a couple of mediocre seasons. Uh, and I remember the humbling experience of playing Boston College, you know, as the last game of our year each year. And it was at one time a big rivalry, and it's become less a rivalry today. But I remember looking out across, as I was a wide receiver, and I'm looking out across at the defensive backs who were able to backpedal faster than I could run forward. and literally realized maybe my, my football career was about as far as it's going to go. Uh, but I remember being so confident because that I really knew I wasn't going to play pro football. I was going to be, I had an education, was going to be uh, probably in business or, or in teaching or something else. And, and you become at peace with a dream that goes away. I, I, I definitely remember that point. And it was, uh, it was liberating in some ways. Um, most people might say they'd be disappointed, but it was liberating to me because it opened up a whole new set of things that you could do with your mind, my mind, not just my, my physical assets. Um, I think the another one that sticks out for me was I had a great boss named Mark Saccone at Procter & Gamble. Uh, Mark, to this day, one of the sharpest guys I've ever worked with, and he he had such a, an attitude, such an optimistic view, and he was right, literally right when I got out of college, I went to Procter and Gamble, and he showed me that you can be, uh, you can apply all of the athletic principles and practices and fundamentals uh, to business and be great in business and do it in the same way. I remember, I remember that being a, a fundamental point for me. You know, uh, you know, go ahead. Now, I was just going to say two things come to mind as you're talking, and I'm thinking about how long we've known each other. I've never seen you not positive. I've never seen you not really, you know, someone who, I mean, is is very clear in their judgment and in the way they look at things. And, and it seems that that relationship, which a lot of, unfortunately, athletes don't get that mentorship. And so when they leave the sport, you know, and I've represented a lot of yeah. them, and I try to give them that mentorship, but, you know, they don't know what to do with their life. They're not really trained to go and do anything else. And so there's this big lull, this big downtime that happens to them, and then they feel this great sense of loss. It doesn't sound to me like that happened to you at all. In fact, if anything, it connected pretty pretty quickly because of the mentors in your life. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I think that I was really fortunate because the connection was made so clear for me that mm -hmm. all of the basic things that we had to do to be good in athletics, practice, be competitive, uh, be a team player, collaborate, 
know how to lead, know how to follow, know how to strategize and be execution-oriented. All of those things that, that I learned in sports, yeah, I quickly saw through mentors, through my upbringing, that you could apply them pretty quickly to the world of business. And that was probably, and, and it came in a couple of ways. It came, I think, as I mentioned, you, you drop a dream, you pick another one up, uh, but it's, it's people. It's, it's leaders who make a big difference you know, in your life as you go through it that I think is what helps me a lot. Well, you know, I, I tell people that, you know, you and I share a lot of people in common, and I've always yeah. said that you're a true people person, and, and, you know, and people always shake their head yes, because clearly you connect with them, and, and, and it's a great quality that you have. Uh, I've appreciated it and valued it, and we've known well, each other probably two decades now. Yeah, and then, Jimmy, I think, and you know this, I, and, and you've experienced the same kind of thing. When, you, when you're a, one of a large family... Um, there's really no other option. You have to figure out really how to, how to get along with people, how to work with people, how to collaborate. I actually think it therefore comes natural. It was, it was part of our family. I, I, don't, I don't think it's easy to teach to people because I've seen where uh, you try to establish it in people. Uh, I've learned you almost have to hire it. You can't. It's hard to develop if they're if their upbringing wasn't like that. Um, but but I, I don't believe that anybody's unchangeable. I just think that some of those things are harder. So I was just, I was lucky. I was fortunate that that was one of the things that came out of my upbringing, certainly. Well, you, you know, when I think about, you know, the positions you've held, and we're going to talk about that probably in the second part of the show, but you've probably come in contact with tens of thousands of people that you've encountered along your journey and 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 from all walks of life i mean you know whether it was proctor or g or coke or now green mountain uh coffee roasters and is there is there an element that you see or a characteristic that you see that you immediately you know know whether this person will work or not work because i assume you know i mean everything you're doing is building team and building chemistry within that team in order to be right. able to execute on whatever the strategy is um is there something that just steps out and you know that you got the right person or maybe something that steps out and says this isn't going to work uh i i i think i'm pretty pretty good and pretty intuitive with people I'm not always right, but I'm I'm a pretty good judge of character, a and of people, uh, in general. I, I think again, it's it's um. I, I look for the best in people. Again, that's a natural bent of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I recognize the flaws in in myself and in others. I think it's 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 important that you know yourself pretty well. I I, I wouldn't say I'm the most self introspective person on the planet, but I would say that. I'm, I'm decent for it for a, you know, 52-year-old male. Uh, so I think I, I've, I've learned, I, I know it's just my natural, my natural instinct is to look for the good in people. Uh, I also think that I've, um, I have a way of relating to people that, that makes them more at ease and more at comfort uh, so that they can actually be who they are. And it's helped, it's helped a lot. It helps you form teams more quickly. And it helps you get people that that are willing to learn and and run with you. 
You know, it's uh, again. I mean, you know, this show goes into 180 countries, and and I've wanted you to come on this show for a long time. I think I've mentioned it to you, and you've you've been very supportive of me in this show. And I really did this show because of the journey of my own life that I I, I wanted to learn about other people and what they do and how they approach situations, not just from the standpoint of success, but really the journey that gets them to whatever they define as their success, and it doesn't have to be material. And I've always found one of your greatest qualities is your humility, is your ability to walk into a room and and people are immediately drawn to that about you. Um, is that, again, because of the training that you got. I mean, I grew up with six kids in our family. Yep. And you know, you, you we we did we did have to develop a way to be able to make sure we got food, you know, because my older brother would constantly take my food if it was a dessert, he would just grab it and challenge me and you know, we had all those normal things you have in big families, but and I was it started out being the youngest and then ended up being the middle because our my mom died and you know, we had that. But yeah. I'm curious yeah. You know, as you as you and you still have this. I know you've told me you have these get-togethers with your family, which now have to be unbelievable amounts of people. I mean, they're, I think they're you, large. They're big. They're large. I think yeah. you told me how many people were at the last get-together you had. Oh, I think we had forty, easily forty. But we, you know, I, I do think, Jimmy. I think that uh, it's it's hard to put your finger on it because you know it's hard for me to put my finger on it because I've lived it. But I'll try. I think just the process of being around and growing up in a very, very dynamic environment with my family and the community on the West Side, I, I really do think it breeds humility. It would, be, it would be very hard, certainly in my family, to have not been humble, right? Right, right. Because you have, you have lots, of, lots of brothers and my sister who are, who are equally capable and smart and talented, and I think you realize quickly that even when you think you're so good, there's there's going to be somebody who can knock you off pretty quick if you're not if you're not on your toes all the time, and I think that's one of the benefits growing up like we did. You know, I, I think there's other ways to get it. I definitely think there's other ways to get humility. It's it's uh, how you're taught and trained, and and you know, it's experiences. There are times when you think you're really good, and you hit that you hit the pyramid and the peak of what you can do, and you realize that there are others with either God-given talents that are better than yours, uh, or they've been dealt a better hand in some ways, and it just, I just think it's a realism. There's a certain realism in humility um, that is, is healthy. It's, it's just the reflection that we're all pretty good. Everybody's pretty good at what they do, um, and some people are, are really good at what they do, and you're not really good in everything. Right, and and learning is, of course, the cornerstone of all that. That you know, I guess if we thought we knew it all, we probably wouldn't have much more to live for. So, I I I love the idea of growing and learning and and and, and obtaining knowledge, and that's kind of what drives me every day. And I'm, you know, excited when when I'm able to meet you know decision makers like yourself who who have that that thread that runs through them and that experience. Let me ask you if I. <clears throat> If I asked you, what was the most difficult lesson and the most difficult decision you probably either learned or that you learned and you had to make as you look back? Uh, I think the most difficult decision early in my life was where to go to college. Hmm. It wasn't, I didn't recognize it as a difficult decision then, quite honestly. 
um, it was a very good one. I made a I made the right one, but it was a, it would have been a different one, difficult decision. Uh, but I wouldn't have told you then that it was a difficult decision. Mm-hmm. So if, I'll, I'll first start with one that was a difficult decision to make. You know, you make a decision. Do you? Uh, like I think right out of college, um, what kind of career did I want to be in? I, I had a choice to go into the financial community, you know, in investment banking, uh, or go to Procter and Gamble. And I knew that was a that was a difficult decision for me. And I chose P and G. And while I'm sure I I'd be you know happy and and uh, successful in the other one, I. I look back and so much has changed because of my deciding to go to P&G. And it was a tough decision. A lot of people were telling me, why wouldn't you go to the financial world? You know, be in investment banking, make a lot of money. Uh, you could have, you could have look, at, look at New York City and look at all of the, you know, investment bankers. And, and it was all about money. And if I, if I really think about it, and I think about how I made the difficult decision. I, I remember calling my dad and saying, you know, here's, here's what I'm looking at. And he said, you're not going to learn anything in your first five years. Go somewhere where you're going to learn. Hmm. You're not going to really be able to not learn anything. You're not going to accomplish anything major in your first five years. What you're going to accomplish is learning. You're, you're going to learn in your first five years. Go somewhere where you can learn. You know, and I- so... That actually, great, great advice. The, that, action, that actually answers the question of the, great, of, the, of the lesson that you learned was that how important it was to go somewhere and learn on a job because, I mean, and that's the type of, of thing to me that is in a way so profound because, you know, uh, we all are faced with decisions every day about different things, but truly your life would probably be very different had you gone the other way and you... Absolutely. You, Right, and I think the other thing is, if you feel that you don't need to have to accomplish something in the beginning, you truly take it all in, and then it becomes a life-altering decision. So, um, would you agree with that? Because obviously, you know, you didn't feel the pressure. You just said, "I'm going to go and learn," and then that'll take me down a certain path. Yeah, Jimmy, it was it was probably among uh, you know a number of of morsels and advice that I got over my, over my life and career, that's one that I look back on and really value and really appreciate because it was all about learning. It was all about, you know, I'm going to do well. I was confident, and I am confident. I knew I'd do well wherever I went. It was, so which one's going to position me long-term for what I want to do? And, and, you know, you don't really know what you want to do right when you get out of school. Not at all, right. And so I thought that's pretty good advice. I'm going to go learn. And it worked out for me. Let me, uh, you know, Chuck Yeager said just before uh, breaking the sound barrier, he said the cockpit shakes the most. Can you share with the audience your own kind of breaking the sound barrier moment? Uh, Yeah, I'll I'll give you one. Um, And there have been a few, but when I was a junior in college, I, I mentioned I played wide receiver, and we were playing Boston College last game of the year. 40 seconds left in the game, I do a post pattern down the middle, catch a pass, and the two defensive backs uh, literally meet at my stomach and um, ruptured my intestine. Literally, they ruptured my spleen, my intestine, my appendix. Uh, I literally, I get carried off the field. 
um, wow. and, and immediate operation, immediate surgery, where they, they remove six feet of my intestine. Wow. And so the, the, the good news is, you know, I ended up getting better and playing again. The bad news is we lost the game. But uh, the, good <laughs> news is, the good news is, and, and maybe the, the breaking the sound barrier moment for me, is the very next year, because I was only a junior, I was able to rehabilitate, come back, play my senior year as the captain. Um, and it, was, it shows what you can do. And it, wow. it certainly showed me what I could do because, you know, but he said, why would you ever play again? You know, my, my view was, why would I not play again? And I can, I can do this and I can show them. And it was, uh, it was terrific. And so you go through some empowering experiences like that where you realize that sometimes the toughest challenges you go through are, are where you, you really get a chance to shine. You know, and that's a powerful story because, you know, I've represented over 100 NFL athletes, and there's probably not one of them hasn't gone through a, a moment like that that is, could have ended their career. And so many times, you know, I've always said to them, if I represent you, I want you to walk away from the game on your own terms, whatever that is. I mean, I don't want you to play until you can't walk anymore. And I tell them this, and I, I say that's why you have to hold on to your money, and that's why you can't live like, you know, I mean, you have to live like this is the only money you're ever going to make, and that way you can walk away. And I'm curious, what inside you gave you that strength? Was it faith or was it just determination that you never questioned not coming back? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I could pinpoint exactly. I would say that it's the combination of those things. It comes from a, an inner confidence that you gain over time that comes from faith. It comes from, um, you know, success and failure. I think I think uh, it comes from hard work. It comes from a belief in in the fact that if you work hard, if you have a, a a vision, a goal of what you want to accomplish, you can do it. And and then having had experiences where I was able to go through it and accomplish things that might have looked tough from the start, um, it just never I was never daunted by it. And I, I I reflect on that a lot because you know in the world of business, people think things are tough. And you meet people who have, you know, uh, they've, they've fought for our country or they've been in war and they've really been through tough things. What we go through isn't tough, right? And, and you, you just have a perspective that says, you know, some of the things that we define as really tough and there's lots of drama about it. It's not really drama. It's not really tough. The tougher things uh, are, are, are actually much, much more real. They're much more difficult and you have to keep what you're doing in perspective because that's uh, – and it gives you the confidence, I think, to, to plow through any of the big challenges we face. No, that's well put. Um, let me ask you, um, in your opinion, what do you think is the worst mistake a person can make in business, and what does it really take to make a good CEO? I think the biggest mistake you can make is to stop learning. And, and it really comes from thinking you know uh, that you know what you're doing, that you know your strategy is right, that you know you're competitively advantaged. The second you think that, somebody's already beat you. And so it's this, it's this, it's this edge. So I, I would define the biggest mistake you can make is losing the edge, losing the edge to to learn to grow. 
to get more competitive, um, you know, falling asleep a little bit and thinking, ah, no one will ever come up and beat us. That, that is, that's the biggest fatal flaw you could have. And, and what, what makes a good CEO? What makes a leader? CEO, chairman, you know, president. What, what, in your opinion, is there one thing that just stands out about that? Uh, I don't know if there's one thing. I think it's, I think like all of us, we're learning to get better and better at what we do. I think a great CEO has to be, um, you have to lead, intellectually lead. You have to lead people. Um, and I've, I've always believed that leading people is, it's not about creating followers. It's about making people leaders themselves. It's about creating and empowering them to be a leader. That's what a real leader does. Uh, and I think the third thing is after leading, leading the thinking, leading the intellectual uh, strategy of the company, leading the people of the company, I think you have to build a culture. You have to, mm-hmm. you have to build an environment. You have to build a culture and an ethos that reflects values that your consumers have today or your customers have today. And if your values are out of sync with where the world's going, no matter how good your product is, if your values don't reflect the way the world's moving, you're not going to win and you're not going to hire the best people. So I think it's those three things. You have to lead the thinking. You have to, you have to effectively lead people and develop people. And then you have to create a culture uh, that is a winning culture. Has your definition of success uh, changed as you've gone through your career? How do you actually measure success, and and what way has it been altered through your many experiences, or, or has it stayed the same? I think it's it's changed. I think early on in my career, probably like most, your your goals tend to be self oriented. They tend to be. Uh, am I am I getting promoted? Am I getting more responsibility? Am I making more money? I think as you mature, your uh, I think maybe in the middle of the career, you you get to the point where your organization focus. How can I make my company better? How can I make the enterprise better? And then I think you broaden that later in a career uh, to how can what I do in this company make the world better? How can I make sure that the values of the company reflect uh, what needs to happen in the world and help help actually help it. Uh, and I, I'd say I'm somewhere between phase two and phase three in my career. Mm-hmm. This is how I would assess it. Well, we're we're going to take a break. I, I do want to remind people if they want to learn more um, about your company, uh, uh, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, they should go to www.greenmountaincoffee.com. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk really and focus in on this, how you started your career from Procter & Gamble through GE, Coca-Cola, and Green Mountain Coffee. I want to particularly learn about the great social programs behind Green Mountain Coffee and learn a lot more about coffee. Uh, you know, it's time for us to take a commercial break. This is Jimmy Gould with my very special guest and dear friend, Brian Kelly. You're listening to A Current Life brought to you by Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, Pure Romance, and Ads Baseball Network. Please stay tuned. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. 
Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info. When I got my Keurig Brewer, I loved it so much I decided to name it. The right name had to fit my many sides, from the bold dark roast side to the soft herbal tea side. I landed on Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. It works for me. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder people actually name their Keurig Brewers. Visit Keurig.com for more info. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to A Current Life. This is Jimmy Gould with my special guest, dear friend Brian Kelly. Uh, you know, Brian, uh, I really want to kind of go back through your career path. And I know you started your career uh, at, at, at Procter & Gamble and then went on to GE and from GE to Coca-Cola and then on to Green Mountain Coffee Roasters also uh, with another company in between. But I want to ask, kind of start out and say, did you ever dream when you were younger that you would be named president of Coca-Cola? Uh, no, no, I, I didn't. I certainly didn't dream of that. Uh, and it was it was a real honor, you know. And, and uh, it was quite a quite a role and quite a company. It's an amazing place. Well, you know, was it so? Moving from Coke to uh, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, and I do want to give our listeners a little bit of background, if you'll bear with me for a minute, on Green Mountain Coffee Roasters. Green Mountain Coffee Roasters is a leader in specialty coffee and coffee makers. Green Mountain Coffee Roasters is recognized for its award-winning coffees, innovative Keurig brewing technology, and environmentally and socially responsible business practices. GMCR's multi-brand portfolio and multi-channel distribution strategy is aimed at changing the way North Americans prepare and enjoy coffee and other beverages both at home and in the workplace. The company's Keurig single-cup brewing system, embodied by a premium brewer portfolio and an expanding family of quality beverage brands, provides customers and consumers the benefits of convenience, variety, and consistent great taste. GMCR's aim is to achieve a brewer on every counter and offer a beverage for every occasion. And again, the website is www.greenmountaincoffee.com. Can you tell us a little bit about the story uh, behind Green Mountain Coffee Roasters? Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's really a wonderful story. It was founded back in 1981 by Bob Stiller. Uh, Bob was a Vermont-based uh, entrepreneur who 
really had had a vision and a purpose in his head. He loved being in businesses that were uh, not only great products, but actually good for the environment, good for society. And so he he really had this compelling purpose uh, and character in starting the company. And I would tell you that that is still here today. It's a Vermont-based company. Uh, it's now also a Boston-based company, as we've added Keurig. But it was it was started really to be the finest premium coffee in the world. That's what Bob wanted. He wanted to have originally he he had stores. He had he had coffee shops. He opened a number of coffee shops in Vermont, and thought he would do that. And and like all great entrepreneurs and business people, he changed his strategy as he saw what was working and was what what wasn't working. And uh, in 2006, so what I love about this story is, you know, he he built a great company from 1981 to 2006 as a premium coffee company only. But the real change came in 2006 when he saw a very, very small high-tech startup in Boston called Keurig. And Bob was probably a little under $150 million of revenue as a premium coffee roaster and having has a great business. And he had the courage to buy and acquire this tiny little $30 million, roughly $30 million high-tech startup that, you know, really had a dream and a machine, but not much else. And it all, it all started there, that, that really magical combination of a sustainable, uh, environmentally friendly, premium coffee company in Vermont, acquiring and merging really with a high-tech, mechanical engineers, Boston-based brewing company, brewer and appliance company, and pulling those together from 2006 through 2012, the company grew 17 times, um, you know, to well over $4 billion. It, It increased earnings by some 45 times in those six years. And so it's... What he did not only start the company, but years later went to the next phase and made this acquisition that fundamentally changed the way people make coffee at home, and it's made the huge difference for us. So that's a little background on the company. You know, when you before you went there, were you, I mean, obviously you did your homework and research on it, but it seems to me... That, that people, uh, I mean, I know for me, and obviously we use your coffee in our workplace and at home, so frankly, you know, it's a, it's a big deal to me to wake up in the morning and want to have that cup of coffee. I mean, and, right. and that single roast idea is really brilliant from the standpoint of it means more to me than just not having it, you know? Right, right. And, and it brought together this, this very unique and probably unlikely combination of two companies brought together the capability to deliver this terrific, unique experience for the consumer, where all of a sudden they could get a single cup of coffee every time, perfectly fresh, and not have to brew a whole pot that you throw out half of it, or it's stale and old after, you know, 15 minutes. And and the important thing is you could do it instantly. You could pop a pot in, push a button, in less than 30 seconds, you get a great cup of coffee. And it wasn't just a great cup of coffee. These guys had the foresight to make it an open architecture. And I'll I'll explain what that means. You know, in the tech world, Apple has a, creates the iPad, and they let anyone design apps for it. It's an open architecture, for the most part. There are some parts that aren't. 
And, and Bob and the team here had that mindset, and I think a lot of it comes from the ethos of the Vermont-based team and, and sharing and open kind of uh, culture that he created. But it was all about having an open architecture and well, of brands. How many companies would willingly and purposely invite competitive brands into a system that you, you built and created? So here's Green Mountain Coffee. It invites Starbucks in, Dunkin' Donuts in, uh, Newman's Own in, you name it. Every, every coffee of note in the U.S. and in North America is in our system. And then, then teas. And so Celestial Seasons teas and Tazo teas and, you know, uh, you, you know, Lipton tea and Snapple tea. There's not a coffee or tea of note that is not in our system. And... You know that that kind of open architecture is a is a core element to what made this successful, and it's one of those very very rare uh, gifts that you're given when when you can allow that. Most companies would never do that. Well, you know, as a private equity guy, that's exactly the thing I find the most fascinating about your company. I mean, because it it it's that environment. You're actually it to me. It's synonymous with. I used to think I was watching great television when I was watching, you know, TV that was just normal until I got H, you know, high definition television. And now I can't watch it the other way. You know, right. I, I mean, there's a world of difference. But when I first got it, frankly, my eyes didn't tell me that. I mean, I didn't at first like everybody else. And I don't maybe it was just because my eyes, but I didn't see it. And now I get so bummed out if I can't get a high definition view of a ball game. Because right. it's a world of difference, and that's really what you're talking about. And you, and when you have something that unique and that expansive, and that it really is earth-shattering. You don't worry about competition because you have something that everybody's going to want to be a part of. You're creating a new environment. Yeah, it's, it's you're part of a movement, and the movement isn't really looking at a comp- competitor. It's the movement is how do we satisfy the desire for the movement? And you know, imagine a company growing. 17 times in six years. And Incredible. it wasn't small to begin with, you know, and it gets into billions and billions of dollars. And it's, it's all about this incredible passion the consumer has for Keurig. And it was created by a coffee company and a technology company that had the mindset and the foresight uh, to, to create an open architecture and be su- superbly diligent about uh, disciplined technology and precision and making sure that cup of coffee is perfect every time. And that's what that's what's exciting. It's what's been exciting and we've got we're at the very early stages of the growth of the company, believe it or not. And that's what that's what excites us. What's the biggest challenge for you in running a global corporation at this point in time in the twenty first century? Uh, I would tell you that the the three things that I am, am constantly checking ourselves on. Uh, are we innovative enough? First and foremost, are we going to win in innovation? We have to be better and faster than anyone in the world. We have to be, we have to be sharper. We, we have to have better ideas. We have to be able to bring them to market faster, and we have to do it in a disciplined way. That's first thing. Second thing that worries me is, do we have the best talent? And it's like any team or any business do we have the best talent in the world? Are we developing it at all levels in the company? Are we bringing in the best talent uh, right out of school? You know, we have the ability here in Boston where I sit today to get kids from, 
MIT and, and you know, Boston College and, and great schools here uh, where, where we can get the best and brightest. Well, are we? The question is, are we getting the best and brightest? And that, that are we developing them when they get here? Uh, do they have full career capability to learn like I was able to learn and like a lot of us were able to learn? You have to give them a path. Um, and I think the third thing that I constantly worry about is, are we focused on the right things? Are we putting our resources, our dollars, our people, uh, are we putting it in our capital? Are we putting it in the right places? And that's, that's all about strategy and um, looking out not only short-term but long-term. You know, I think, and I think you would agree with this, there's probably a fourth thing that you guys do better than most companies I've ever seen. And, and you know, we get involved a lot in socially important concepts and questions. And, and the, you really are a leader in social impact. You really, with sustainable products and the contributions you're making to better the world, that's a big deal today to people. It's a big deal, especially to the millennial generation. I mean, there's 83 million of these millennials born after 85, and that is a big social giving and changing the world and the environment, which they have learned to not trust, is a big factor. And I think you guys do it almost better than anybody I've seen. Thank you, Jimmy. We, uh, we hope so, and it's certainly a goal of ours. It's one of the reasons I joined the company. Uh, the purpose of our company is so it's, – it's the most inspiring I've seen. And we've spent the last six or seven months – crafting a new set of values that are a reflection of how the company started and what, what the company wanted to be when it, when it began to where we are today. And we, we state our values, and I would, I would tell you our values are unique in the world of business. And I'll, I'll tell you the four of them, and it, it, it really unites all of us, and it, it hinges all of us to our purpose. But here they are, the four. Uh, and And... They're in no particular order, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll share them with you. First, we partner for mutual success. That's the first value. We partner for mutual success. In other words, whether it's with our customers, with our partners like Starbucks and Smuckers and Dunkin' Donuts, uh, we partner in a way that everybody wins because right. if we, it's, a, it's a big value of the company. Second, uh, we innovate with passion. We have a passion for innovation. We are creative. We are, we are curious. We are constantly finding the best and moving ourselves there. But we have this passion for innovation, which is the second value. The third value is we play to win. Uh, we play to win. We play to win because that's, we're competitive. We want to win. Uh, we want to win the right way always. And then the fourth is we brew a better world that everything we do is we, we think that success in business should yield successful communities and it should yield better families and it should yield uh, better investment in infrastructure in the country. It should yield more resilient farmers around the world in the 30 or 40 countries where we, where we source coffee. Uh, we should brew a better world. Everything we do should not only grow the business, but it should help those that are our constituents and our partners. And, and everybody in the company believes deeply in those four, a passion for innovation, we play to win, we partner for mutual success, and we brew a better world. And it really does unite us, and I believe uniquely puts us in a position 
to recruit the best people in the world, people that have a, a, a purpose to what their lives are. They want to not just work. You know, Jimmy, as you know, with our kids, they, they don't want to just come in and uh, do a desk job or, or work at a, in a meaningless place, a faceless name. They, they want to be part of a movement, part of an, uh, something that's going to do good for the world and, and still engage them intellectually and, and uh, socially and emotionally. And we, we think we, we have that. You know, I, it, that actually leads me to a couple of questions because I, I, we, we, in our research, we, we really didn't find anybody that equaled you in terms of what you're doing. I know there are companies that are becoming more and more aware of the sustainability issues and social giving, but I think you've had a chance as a global brand to really put a lot of this together, which, which certainly will open up the door for a lot of the younger people to want to be involved with you and to create more strategic partnerships. But let me ask you, as a leader in beverages with social impact, particularly fair trade coffee, how can consumers use their purchasing power to support more sustainable products and make their contribution to better the world? Yeah, it's, it's a, a great example, and I'll use fair trade. We're the largest fair trade uh, coffee purchaser in the world. What it, what it simply means is this. We, we pay a fair price. We guarantee that we pay a fair price to a farmer. and because otherwise, many of these farmers uh, around the world are subject to the, the vagaries and the fluctuations of a commodity market that is not fair. Markets aren't intended to be fair. But we, we want to be fair and have a resilient supply chain. And so it's, it's a mutually beneficial thing. So we pay a premium. We actually pay a premium for the best quality coffee. We train the farmers how to make the coffee, how to, how to uh, not only process the coffee, but how to grow it, uh, the new techniques, the new uh, methods of growing, of farming, how to rotate crops, uh, how to make sure that they are getting the best yield. All of that comes with fair trade. And why people should support it, um, it's, it's really important, we believe, and I, I personally believe, that it be authentic, meaning if it's a marketing campaign where we, we talk about it, but we're actually not helping farmers or helping the environment or improving water use, then all it is is just words. I think most young consumers in particular today are very sensitive to that, and I, I firmly believe that they are buying brands today as much for the brand's values as for the brand's product. And the second your values aren't authentic, today's millennial consumer and young consumer and, and even consumers of all age are going to reject it. And as a company, you have to be very, very careful about claiming to be authentically sustainable if you're not. And in fact, in many ways, you're better off not claiming it if you aren't. So we've, we've been very fortunate to have people for decades who have who are t truly deeply personally committed to this. We every year we send a large number of our employees to the farms, actually to the farms. Uh all what we call source trips. They live with the farmer. Literally, they don't go stay in a Weston hotel or they don't stay in a Four Seasons hotel. They live on the farm with the farmer. Uh you you help them in the field. You help them pick the crop. You help them dry process it or wet process it. You you literally help them. Uh, and, and you get to see and understand the, the burden of growing some of the finest coffees in the world. 
and they're only grown, you know, within a couple hundred miles of the equator, and so they tend to be challenged economies. Uh, but but you see the challenge with education for the children and and sustainable income in the lean years in many parts of the world where the coffee crop isn't growing, and how do you give them an income outside of, of that period? But you have to be committed to it deeply and personally, otherwise it is not authentic, and ultimately that that will impact your business and your brand. Well, I, you know, I can tell, I can see your passion, number one, obviously knowing you like I do, and more importantly, I mean, I, this, is a, this is a global company that can change the world because... Clearly, you're involved with some very clear-cut, you know, with a clear-cut mission that isn't just about making lots of money, but it's about changing the world and the contribution, and I applaud you for that, and I know our listeners will as well. I want to ask you, with so much responsibility on your hands, how do you balance life and its demands as the family? Well, we, uh, we try to take things uh, in stride. You don't take... You know, the balance it has to come personally. I think all of us have a, a different way to balance. I like to think of it as uh, work and life integration. I don't, I don't really think of it as a balance, and I, I counsel our people to not think of it as a balance. I think you have to integrate your life today. I think you have to figure out a way, and everybody does it personally. How do you integrate your family with your work? How do you integrate... Uh, your personal values with your work. And if you're not with a company that you can't do that, you shouldn't be with that company. You, you have to choose your work, not just the company, but what work you do based on can you integrate your life with that job. And, you know, I, I, I do it my way. I think uh, I'm very respectful of the fact that people each have to do it their own way. And they have to get the job done. Uh, but they have to get the job done at home, too, and, and it's important that we be flexible enough that we allow them to integrate their work and their life. Let me ask, if you could choose one person to have dinner with, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Hmm. Um, not living, Abraham Lincoln. Wow. Amazing leader. Uh, I just I just finished a book by John Meacham uh, that he wrote on Thomas Jefferson that I found fascinating, but it made me want to read read more about Abe Lincoln because I think those two guys would be the two that um, would be the two leaders that I've most admired among the presidents, and certainly and maybe maybe over time we'll be able to look back to some of our more recent presidents and have that same respect. Maybe maybe we'll see. Uh, but I, I, Abraham Lincoln would be my number one choice, and Jefferson would be number two. Wow. Well, so, and and one other question before I go to the, the the final question, as we're running out of time, and I have I deeply appreciate you as a friend, as well as the support that you've shown this show, as well as your work that you do around the world uh, on behalf of so many people and with Green Mountain Coffee Roasters. And I want to thank you for making the time to come on the show. Um, my pleasure. Jimmy, as you look back on your life and on your journey, and I've asked this, uh, we've done about 75 shows now, as I think you know, and, and I always ask this question of different people, and I've gotten interesting answers. Uh, what do you feel is the greater purpose of life, the, the real meaning of life, as you look back on your journey? 
Yeah, that, that's a uh, that's a deep one. I, I would say it's about. Um, I, I think of it maybe maybe oddly maybe not. I think about it, your life has to generate a couple of things. It has to generate good and it has to generate wisdom. And if it can do that, if it can generate good, true good, and can generate wisdom, you you've done a good thing with your life. And I don't. I could make it a lot more complex than that, perhaps but I don't think I should. I think I can just say if, if a life has generated a lot of good for those around you and you can, you can see it, and good takes on all forms, uh, and it's generated wisdom. You've been able to, to think and create new ideas and, uh, that, that help the world and, and improve people's lives in it. I, I keep coming back to that, generate good and generate wisdom. Well, it's a great answer. I've, uh, uh, you'd laugh about some of the answers, but truly the work you're doing and, and will be doing, and I hope we have many, many years ahead of us together as friends, and I'll be watching your great success with, with Green Mountain Coffee Roasters. Our time's almost up. I'd like to go ahead and thank you, Brian, for sharing your journey with us. It's certainly inspired me, and I know the many listeners who follow our show in over 180 countries. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning into A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. And our sponsors, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, Ads Baseball Network, and Pure Romance. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, signing off. And please join us next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern for our next episode. And until next time, I wish each and every one of you a journey filled with much hope, inspiration, success. And Brian Kelly, to you, my friend, thank you so much for making the time. Your journey has been exciting, inspiring, and I know filled with with much happiness that you've created for a lot of people and uh, deep love. And thank you for coming on the show. Jimmy, the same right back to you. And I really appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for joining us for A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please tune in to another great program with your host, Jimmy Gould, next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time. We'll see you next week. got my Keurig Brewer, I loved it so much I decided to name it. The right name had to fit my many sides, from the bold dark roast side to the soft herbal tea side. I landed on Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. It works for me. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder people actually name their Keurig Brewers. Visit Keurig.com for more info. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 